Section 10 of The Natural History, Volume 3. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Cynthia Moyer. The Natural History, Volume 3, by Pliny the Elder. Translated by John Bostock and Henry Thomas Riley. Section 10. Book 10. The Natural History of Trees. Chapter 1. The Honorable Place Occupied by Trees in the System of Nature. Such, then, is the history, according to their various species and their peculiar conformations, of all the animals within the compass of our knowledge. It now remains for us to speak of the vegetable productions of the earth, which are equally far from being destitute of a vital spirit, for, indeed, nothing can live without it, that we may then proceed to describe the minerals extracted from it, and so none of the works of nature may be passed by in silence. Long, indeed, were these last bounties of hers concealed beneath the ground, the trees and forests being regarded as the most valuable benefits conferred by nature upon mankind. It was from the forest that man drew his first aliment, by the leaves of the trees was his cave rendered more habitable, and by their bark was his clothing supplied. Even at this very day there are nations that live under similar circumstances to these. Still more and more, then, must we be struck with wonder and admiration that from a primeval state such as this we should now be cleaving the mountains for their marbles, visiting the Ceres to obtain our clothing, seeking the pearl in the depths of the Red Sea and the emerald in the very bowels of the earth. For our adornment with these precious stones it is that we have devised those wounds which we make in our ears, because, forsooth, it was deemed not enough to carry them on our hands, our necks, and our hair, if we did not insert them in our very flesh as well. It will be only proper, then, to follow the order of human inventions, and to speak of the trees before treating of other subjects. Thus may we trace up to their very origin the manners and usages of the present day. Chapter 2. The Early History of Trees The trees formed the first temples of the gods, and even at the present day the country people, preserving in all their simplicity their ancient rites, consecrate the finest among their trees to some divinity. Indeed, we feel ourselves inspired to adoration, not less by the sacred groves and their very stillness than by the statues of the gods, resplendent as they are with gold and ivory. 
each kind of tree remains immutably consecrated to its own peculiar divinity the beech to jupiter the laurel to apollo the olive to minerva the myrtle to venus and the poplar to hercules besides which it is our belief that the sylvans the fauns and various kinds of goddess nymphs have the tutelage of the woods and we look upon those deities as especially appointed to preside over them by the will of heaven in more recent times it was the trees that by their juices more soothing even than corn first mollified the natural asperity of man and it is from these that we now derive the oil of the olive that renders the limbs so supple the draught of wine that so efficiently recruits the strength and the numerous delicacies which spring up spontaneously at the various seasons of the year and load our tables with their viands tables to replenish which we engage in combat with wild beasts and seek for the fishes which have fattened upon the dead corpse of the shipwrecked mariner indeed it is only at the second course after all that the produce of the trees appears but in addition to this the trees have a thousand other uses all of which are indispensable to the full enjoyment of life it is by the aid of the tree that we plough the deep and bring near to us far distant lands it is by the aid of the tree too that we construct our edifices the statues even of the deities were formed of the wood of trees in the days when no value had been set as yet on the dead carcass of a wild beast and when luxury not yet deriving its sanction from the gods themselves we had not to behold resplendent with the same ivory the heads of the divinities and the feet of our tables it is related that the gauls separated from us as they were by the alps which then formed an almost insurmountable bulwark had as their chief motive for invading italy its dried figs its grapes its oil and its wine samples of which had been brought back to them by helico a citizen of the helvetii who had been staying at rome to practise there as an artisan we may offer some excuse then for them when we know that they came in quest of these various productions though at the price even of war chapter three exotic trees when the plane tree first appeared in italy and whence it came but who is there that will not with good reason be surprised to learn that a tree has been introduced among us from a foreign clime for nothing but its shade i mean the plane which was first brought across the ionian sea to the isle of diomedes there to be planted at his tomb and was afterwards imported thence into sicily being one of the very first exotic trees 
that were introduced into Italy. At the present day, however, it has penetrated as far as the country of the Morini, and occupies even a tributary soil, in return for which those nations have to pay a tax for the enjoyment of its shade. Dionysius the Elder, one of the tyrants of Sicily, had plane trees conveyed to the city of Regium, where they were looked upon as the great marvel of his palace, which was afterwards converted into a gymnasium. These trees did not, however, in that locality, attain any very great height. I find it also stated by some authors that there were some other instances, in those days even, of plane trees being found in Italy, and I find some mentioned by name as existing in Spain. Chapter 4. The Nature of the Plane Tree This circumstance took place about the time of the capture of the city of Rome, and to such high honour in the course of time did the plane tree attain that it was nurtured by pouring wine upon it, it being found that the roots were greatly strengthened by doing so. Thus have we taught the very trees even to be wine-bibbers. Chapter 5. Remarkable Facts Connected with the Plane Tree The first plane trees that were spoken of in terms of high admiration were those which adorned the walks of the academy at Athens, in one of which the roots extended a distance of thirty-three cubits and spread far beyond its branches. At the present day there is a very famous plain in Lycia, situate in close proximity to a fountain of the most refreshing coolness, standing near the road with the cavity in its interior, it forms a species of house eighty-one feet in width. Its summit, too, presents the foliage of a grove, while it shields itself with huge branches, each of which would equal an ordinary tree in size, as it throws its lengthened shade across the fields. In addition to this, that nothing may be wanting to its exact resemblance to a grotto. There is a circle of seats within, formed of stone, intermingled with pumice overgrown with moss. This tree was looked upon as so worthy of remark that Licinius Mucianus, who was three times consul, and recently the legatus of that province, thought it a circumstance deserving of transmission even to posterity, that he, together with eighteen persons of his retinue, had sat down to a banquet in the interior of it. Its leaves afforded material for their couches in the greatest abundance, while he himself, sheltered from every gust of wind, and trying in vain to hear the pattering of the rain on the leaves, took his meal there, and enjoyed himself more than he would have done amid the resplendence of marble, a multiplicity of paintings, 
and beneath a ceiling refulgent with gold. Another curious instance, again, was that afforded in the reign of the Emperor Caius. That prince was so struck with admiration on seeing a plain in the territory of Veliternum, which presented floor after floor, like those of the several stories of a house, by means of broad benches loosely laid from branch to branch, that he held a banquet in it, himself adding very materially to the shade it threw, the triclinium being formed for the reception of fifteen guests and the necessary attendance. To this singular dining-room he gave the name of his nest. At Gortina, in the Isle of Crete, there is, in the vicinity of a fountain there, a single plane-tree, which has been long celebrated in the records of both the Greek and the Latin language. It never loses its leaves, and from an early period one of the fabulous legends of Greece has been attached to it, to the effect that it was beneath this tree that Jupiter lay with Europa, just as if there had not been another tree of a similar nature in the island of Cyprus. Slips of the tree at Gortina, so fond is man by nature of novelty, were at an early period planted at different places in Crete, and reproduced the natural imperfections of the tree, though, indeed, there is no higher recommendation in the plain than the fact that in summer it protects us from the rays of the sun, while in winter it admits them. In later times, during the reign of the Emperor Claudius, a Thessalian eunuch, the freedman of Marcellus Icerninus, who, however, from motives of ambition, had enrolled himself in the number of the freedmen of the emperor, and had acquired very considerable wealth, introduced this plain into Italy in order to beautify his country seat, so that he may not inappropriately be styled a second Dionysius. These monstrosities of other lands are still to be seen in Italy, independently of those which that country has herself devised. Chapter 6 The Camai Platanus Who was the first to clip green shrubs? For we find in Italy some plane trees which are known as Camai Platani, in consequence of their stunted growth. For we have discovered the art of causing abortion in trees even, and hence, even in the vegetable world, we shall have occasion to make mention of dwarfs, an unprepossessing subject in every case. This result is obtained in trees by a peculiar method adopted in planting and lopping them. Gaius Matius, a member of the equestrian order and a friend of the late emperor augustus invented the art of clipping arbors within the last eighty years chapter seven how the citron is planted the cherry and the peach 
and all those trees which have either Greek or foreign names, are exotics. Those, however, of this number, which have begun to be naturalized among us, will be treated of when I come to speak of the fruit trees in general. For the present, I shall only make mention of the really exotic trees, beginning with the one that is applied to the most salutary uses. The citron tree, called the Assyrian and by some the Median apple, is an antidote against poisons. The leaf is similar to that of the arbute, except that it has small prickles running across it. As to the fruit, it is never eaten, but it is remarkable for its extremely powerful smell, which is the case also with the leaves. Indeed, the odor is so strong that it will penetrate clothes when they are once impregnated with it, and hence it is very useful in repelling the attacks of noxious insects. The tree bears fruit at all seasons of the year. While some is falling off, other fruit is ripening, and other, again, just bursting into birth. Various nations have attempted to naturalize this tree among them for the sake of its medical properties, by planting it in pots of clay with holes drilled in them for the purpose of introducing the air to the roots. And I would here remark, once for all, that it is as well to remember that the best plan is to pack all slips of trees that have to be carried to any distance, as close together as they can possibly be placed. It has been found, however, that this tree will grow nowhere except in Media or Persia. It is this fruit, the pips of which, as we have already mentioned, the Parthian grandees employ in seasoning their ragouts, as being peculiarly conducive to the sweetening of the breath. We find no other tree very highly commended that is produced in Medea. Chapter 8. The Trees of India In describing the country of the Ceres, we have already made mention of the wool-bearing trees which it produces, and we have, likewise, touched upon the extraordinary magnitude of the trees of India. Virgil has spoken in glowing terms of the ebony tree, one of those which are peculiar to India, and he further informs us that it will grow in no other country. Herodotus, however, has preferred to ascribe it to Ethiopia, and states that the people of that country were in the habit of paying to the kings of Persia every third year, by way of tribute, one hundred billets of ebony wood, together with a certain quantity of gold and ivory. Nor ought we here to omit the fact, inasmuch as the same author has stated to that effect, that the Ethiopians were also in the habit of paying, by way of tribute, twenty large elephants' teeth. So high was the esteem in which ivory was held in the year from the building of our city, 
310. For it was at that period that this author was compiling his history at Turii in Italy, which is all the more remarkable from the implicit confidence we place in him when he says that up to that time no native of Asia or Greece, to his knowledge at least, had ever beheld the river Padus. The plan of Ethiopia, which, as we have already mentioned, was recently laid before the Emperor Nero, informs us that this tree is very uncommon in the country that lies between Syene, the extreme boundary of the empire, and Meroe, a distance of 896 miles, and that, in fact, the only kind of tree that is to be found there is the palm. It was probably for this reason that Ebony held the third place in the tribute that was thus imposed. Chapter 9. When Ebony was first seen at Rome. The Various Kinds of Ebony. Pompeius Magnus displayed ebony on the occasion of his triumph over Mithridates. Fabianus declares that this wood will give out no flame. It burns, however, with a very agreeable smell. There are two kinds of ebony. The rarest kind is the best, and is produced from a tree that is singularly free from knots. The wood is black and shining and pleasing to the eye without any adventitious aid from art the other kind of ebony is the produce of a shrub which resembles the cytosus and is to be found scattered over the whole of india chapter ten the indian thorn there is in india also a kind of thorn very similar to ebony, though it may be distinguished from it by the aid of a lantern even, for on the application of flame it will instantly run across the tree. We will now proceed to describe those trees which were the admiration of Alexander the Great in his victorious career when that part of the world was first revealed by his arms. Chapter 11. The Indian Fig The Indian fig bears but a small fruit. Always growing spontaneously, it spreads far and wide with its vast branches, the ends of which bend downwards into the ground to such a degree that they take fresh root in the course of a year and thus form a new plantation around the parent stock, traced in a circular form, just as though it had been the work of the ornamental gardener. Within the bowers thus formed, the shepherds take up their abode in the summer, the space occupied by them being at once overshadowed and protected by the bulwark which the tree thus throws around. A most graceful sight, whether we stand beneath and look upwards, or whether we view its arcaded foliage from a distance. The higher branches, however, shoot upwards to a very considerable height, and, 
by their number form quite a grove springing aloft from the vast trunk of the parent tree which overspreads very frequently a space of sixty paces in extent while the shade that is thrown by it will cover as much as a couple of stadia the broad leaves of the tree have just the shape of an amazonian buckler and hence it is that the fruit from being quite covered by the leaves is greatly impeded in its growth the fruit indeed of this tree is but scanty and never exceeds a bean in size being ripened however by the rays of the sun as these penetrate the leaves the figs are remarkable for their singular lusciousness and are quite worthy of the marvellous tree by which they are produced these fig trees are found more particularly in the vicinity of the river Acesines. chapter twelve the pala the fruit called ariena there is another tree in india of still larger size and even more remarkable for the size and sweetness of its fruit upon which the sages of india live the leaf of this tree resembles in shape the wing of a bird being three cubits in length and two in breadth it puts forth its fruit from the bark a fruit remarkable for the sweetness of its juice a single one containing sufficient to satisfy four persons the name of this tree is pala and of the fruit ariena they are found in the greatest abundance in the country of the Sidraki, a territory which forms the extreme limit of the expedition of Alexander. There is another tree also, very similar to this, but bearing a still sweeter fruit, though very apt to cause derangement of the bowels. Alexander issued strict orders, forbidding anyone in the expedition to touch this fruit chapter thirteen indian trees the names of which are unknown indian trees which bear flax the macedonians have made mention of various other kinds of trees the greater part of which however are without names there is one which resembles the terebinth in every respect except the fruit which is very similar to the almond, though less in size, and remarkable for its extreme sweetness. This tree was met with in Bactria, and some persons looked upon it as a variety of the terebinth, rather than as bearing a strong resemblance to it. As to the tree from which they manufacture a kind of linen cloth, in leaf it resembles the mulberry tree, while the calyx of the fruit is similar to the dog-rose. This tree is reared in the plains, and there is no sight throughout the cultivated parts of the country that is more enchanting than the plantations of it. End of section 10